The following program is presented by the Far East Broadcasting Company because stories of people living out the gospel with their lives inspire all of us. FEBC, taking Christ to the world through radio and new media. Learn more at febc.org. Even though I am bound as a criminal, the Word of God is not bound. Heaven is the bottom line for every Christian. I wanted to stop writing other people's stories and write more of my own. But you also find yourself as you deny yourself in Jesus. Four different voices, each with their own story to tell, opening this edition of First Person. Welcome, I'm Wayne Shepherd. As this is our final program of 2020, I've looked back over dozens of interviews we've done this year and chosen four highlights to share with you. It's impossible to capture all the special moments from 2020, but the voices you will hear will inspire you anew with their stories of faith. We'll hear from Peter Jasek, who was imprisoned in Sudan because of his faith. Johnny Tata will talk about living with pain and suffering. Philip Yancey talks about his life of learning and growing in faith despite doubts along the way. And Victor Oktorov will tell a powerful story of faith in the midst of persecution. Those highlights in just a moment. Should you not be able to listen to our whole program, search for the podcast edition of First Person Interview at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or other podcast platforms. It's also available for listening at firstpersoninterview.com. Let's begin with Peter Jasek's story of arrest and imprisonment in Sudan, accused of spying. Yeah, I was uh, sentenced uh, to life imprisonment, and my two Sudanese colleagues were sentenced to 12 years, uh, and we were then transferred to the one of the strictest prisons, the Cobra Prison in uh, Khartoum. And, um, you know, I was treated, uh, when I was admitted to prison, like a life sentence uh, prisoner, you know, uh, they took uh, 12 times my fingerprints, you know, uh, unlike my uh, Sudanese colleagues who were only taken maybe twice or three times. For me, I was considered really a dangerous person. And, you know, I have already shared, you know, uh, maybe one or two lessons, you know, the the Lord's strengths in mm-hmm. uh, my weaknesses, you know, the power of prayer. And also one of the important lessons that I've been learning uh, uh, even before I was imprisoned, you know, because when people were start reading my book, Imprisoned with ISIS, uh, Faith uh, in the Face of Evil, from the fir- very first page of reading the book, they will realize how miraculously the Lord was preparing me for this time in prison. So you will understand uh, the very important lesson that I could start learning even before being in pr- prison, and this is the sovereignty of our Lord. And I could see it, you know, I already told you that uh, I intended to, to stay there for four days, and four days became 445 days, but I could clearly see the sovereignty of the Lord uh, throughout these 445 days, and it actually culminated uh, at the moment of my release. Imagine that in the Al-Huda prison, there was a prison chapel, and I could for six months uh, preach in the prison chapel to absolutely hopeless, desperate, and forgotten people. And, you know, of course, we were followed and uh, surveyed by the false brothers who were reporting about what we were saying in the chapel, but uh, they could not stop, you know, it is illegal to uh, to share the gospel with Muslims outside of the prison. It is illegal inside the prison. So do you, you mean know? that there were actually men who oh, purported themselves to be believers were actually spying on you. Uh, 
Absolutely, absolutely. You know, we could find that out easily because when they were asking about the Christian faith, they usually had some uh, side questions about uh, the reason why I was arrested, why I was sentenced okay. to life imprisonment. So you're onto their game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And they asked me about some photos that I took, and I clearly could see that they could never come with such questions uh, uh, without being inspired by secret police before. But you know, I, uh, I was, I. I was having this five months without a Bible when I was just deepening my prayer life and my faith got strengthened. After that, I was in the second solitary confinement and I had my Bible for three months. And I had in solitary confinement, imagine you don't have to do anything else for three months and just read your Bible every day from dawn to dusk. And that was a preparation and the sovereignty of our Lord, what he knew was, was followed, to be in six months in Al-Huda prison, huge prison, you know, where it could be 10,000 prisoners, and we were put into the cell with 100 other prisoners. And this was an amazing moment to see the Lord's purpose. And uh, it was like Paul when he says, pray for me in Ephesians 6, 18 through 20, pray for me that the Lord will give me the courage and boldly to preach the gospel in where I am in prison, because I am the ambassador of the gospel in chains. You know, we were also uh, ambassadors of the gospel in chains with my Sudanese colleagues because we were literally in chains many times. Whenever we were transferred, we were chained. Wow. Uh, and Paul says in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, verse 9, even though I am bound as a criminal, the word of God is not bound. And that clearly showed, these six months in Al-Huda chapter clearly showed the sovereignty of the Lord. From that highlight from Peter Jasek, let's turn now to Johnny Tata. Wayne, you know me well. You have seen me over the years in this wheelchair. I've been in it for 53 years. Twice I battled uh, with stage 3 cancer. Mm. Um, I deal with significant chronic pain. Mm -hmm. I have come to love God's Word, hold fast to His promises, enjoy fellowship, sweet fellowship with the Lord Jesus in my most horrible moments. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember one time coming home from chemotherapy. It was the last time I struggled with it, and I was so sick. I was so nauseous. I was so weak. I'd lost so much weight. And Ken Tata, my husband, he was in the driver's seat uh, going down the 101 toward our home from the hospital, and I was tied down in the back. And we're having this conversation in the rearview mirror. We're talking about suffering. And I make this comment to him. I said, you know, I think that suffering is like a splash over hell it just kind of wakes us up out of our spiritual slumber. It gets us, you know, thinking about the actual hell from which Christ has rescued us. Yeah. And so, God gives us these little tastes of, of Hades, of hell, so that we might in some way be jerked awake to appreciate what he's done for us. Mm-hmm. And so, that sparked the conversation, well then, what are splashovers of heaven? Mm-hmm. If suffering is a Splashover of hell. What are are splashovers of heaven? Those easy breezy bright days when all is well. The pain medication is working. All your bills are paid. You can explain. You explain your EOBs. All your ATM receipts are in order. You you know everything is fine. The day is rosy. The sun is bright. The birds are singing. And we we. I said no. That's not. Those aren't splashovers of heaven. Splashovers of heaven are finding Jesus in your splashover of hell. Yeah. And Wayne, I guess that's why. I am vulnerable before people because so often it's so hard. And yet Jesus is so sweet in the midst of those hard times. And um, 
what I've come to know about him and his ability to sustain me and his identification with me and my suffering as my great high priest who empathizes, oh my goodness, the coin is now flipped. It's so sweet now that I can identify with him. Mm-hmm. Sure, he identifies with us in our weakness. Yes. But boy, when you really suffer, yeah. how wonderful it is to identify with him. I'm, in, I'm interested in hearing more about that. I, earlier today, I heard you share, and I often think about you and all that you do. I wonder, how, how do you keep going? How do you, it's hard. Very hard. You're in pain on your way to the office, for I instance. I am. When I had to work every day, I've got this mantra from Second Peter chapter 3, verse 8, where the apostle says, and, and he prefaces it like this, he says, my brothers, do not forget this one thing. So, right there, you know what he's about mm-hmm. to yeah, say. Is this is important. important. Yeah. This is important. With the Lord, a day is as a thousand years, mm-hmm. and a thousand years are as a day. Mm-hmm. Now, we all know the adage that God looks at the last couple of thousand years as just a few days gone by. But flip the coin. He also looks at our days as a thousand years. Mm. So that means every day, every 24-hour slice of time, gives us this incredible opportunity to invest in a thousand years' worth of eternity. And I'm a big believer that all my actions, all my words, my thoughts, my encouragements, my admonishments, my reproves and corrections to people, my, my, my words of hope, everything I do has a direct bearing on my capacity, stretching my capacity in heaven for joy and worship and service. Mm-hmm. And so I look at my day as this one big opportunity in which to invest in my own eternal reward, which will in turn accrue to greater glory to right. Jesus Christ. So every day is precious, isn't it, Wayne? Every day is a gift. Well, you were sharing that you verbalize God's promises as a way to overcome the pain in a sense. Yes, and you know, I hold him to him. <laughs> I think God delights when... He looks down and sees his children get serious about his promises. Oh, this, 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 this child of mine means something here. He, he knows of what he speaks when he's holding onto this promise. I better, I'm going to listen up and pour out my Holy Spirit upon him. This child of mine is stepping into the shower of my mercy. So I, I, often I will say things to God like, um, your grace is sufficient. You promise it's sufficient. And you know what? You promise it's going to be sufficient right now for this need. So I expect you, Holy Spirit, mm. to give me energy and I don't know where it's going to come from, but you're, you're going to see to it. You're going to come through for me because you're good on your word. And, and it, to talk that way to God, to engage him, to use each Bible promise as a battering ram, I think that's what Spurgeon called it, as a battering ram, as it were, to, to bust through the gates of heaven and open up those floodgates so that God will pour out his resources and his favor and his approval and his joy and his enablement. And, and it's all based on his promises. So often you'll hear me uh, say out loud, uh, you are my ever-present help in every trouble, Lord God. You, you will never leave me or forsake me. You, you are for me, not against me. Uh, you fight my battles. You, I, mean, I will constantly recurse to the Lord what I know to be true about We him. all should be verbalizing that yeah. when we don't even realize our need. Well, you know, it, life, I think that one of our adversaries' best strategies against us is to get us looking at life through the lenses of mediocrity, hmm. uh, through temporal lenses that, that have us believing the lie that this life is the end-all, be-all, and it's not. No. Heaven is the bottom line for every Christian. And the few, what, 60, 70 years we enjoy, 80 years down here on earth, if we could only see in heaven ourselves looking back in the rearview mirror and thinking, ah, oh, smacking our foreheads. Man, why didn't I trust God more? 
Why didn't I believe more? Look at what my prayers accomplished. And they were so faint and feeble. Why didn't I pray more earnestly? Why did I not give more? Why wasn't I more generous? Look what my few pennies did over here. I, it, so much more could have been done had only I. But the Bible tells us heaven is a place of no regrets. So each of us in our own capacity will have joy overflowing. Wayne, I just want my capacity to be large. I, I just want it to be a, a tanker-sized truck full of of capacity for enjoying God in eternity. I don't want a thimble full of joy in heaven. I don't want a glass full. I want a, I want a ship full. I, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I'm going to stretch my soul's capacity to believe God more, trust Him more, so that in heaven I'll have even more joy and opportunity to, to worship Him. Johnny Tata in our 2020 review. Still to come, Philip Yancey and Victor Okteroff. And there are so many stories of God at work through the Far East Broadcasting Company. We just had to find a way to tell more. Well, you know, Wayne, hearing all these testimonies has absolutely changed my life. And I want to use a podcast to be able to go deeper with some of the real stories that I get to see as the gospel's going out all around the world. And these stories will change your life, too. So listen to the new weekly podcast until all have heard from FEBC. Listen at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcast platforms, or go to febc.org. Let's continue our review of some of the interviews of 2020 here on First Person. Joining us on the phone was author Philip Yancey. Chicago is a busy place. People were coming in and out, publishers, agents, meeting me. Uh, I'd look at my calendar at the beginning of the week, and it's completely full, and there's no time to write. And I wanted my writing to change in tone. Up to that point, it had been mostly journalism. I was writing a lot about other people's stories, happily doing that. The city is a great place for journalists. You walk outside the door, and there's a homeless person on the street. You can strike up a conversation, and it's, it's great. But it wasn't a great place for introspective writing. And I, w- I wanted to stop writing other people's stories and write more of my own pilgrimage, my own search. The city was not a good place for that. Car horns and alarms are going off all the time. Buses are making noise. Uh, it was just too crowded. So we moved to Colorado, a place with fewer people in the entire state than in the city of Chicago, <laughs> and it's a big state. And we found a place up in the hills, um, very different. There were probably more people on my block in Chicago than all of the little town in Colorado where I live. But it gave me that quietness, that solitude that I needed to move into a new form of writing, and that's when most of my spiritually searching books took shape. Mm-hmm. It also puts you closer to the outdoors. I know you love the outdoors, don't you? I do, yes. I was a runner in Chicago. I did up and down the lakefront. In fact, I went through the, I ran through the uh, Lincoln Park Zoo every morning, so mm-hmm. I would wake up the lions and tigers. <laughs> <laughs> But in um, in Colorado, they're not behind bars, actually. <laughs> they're roaming all around. And uh, we have explored the, the mountains. In fact, when we got here, you know, we're city slickers. We don't know what we're doing. But somebody said, hey, do you want to climb a mountain? There are 54 mountains in Colorado over 14,000 feet. Yep, the 14ers. 14ers. And so we climbed our first one called Sunshine Mountain. It's 14,001 Well, that feet. sounds very easy. Sunshine <laughs> Mountain, yeah. Well, it's one of the easier <laughs> ones, fortunately. It's a good one to start on. And we kind of got addicted, and, and 
Uh, Janet and I both ended up climbing all 54 of them. It took a long time. Oh, but, my goodness. Uh, it was it was a marriage tester and a marriage builder, I must oh. say. <laughs> Do you ever tire of writing? You've been doing it for so long now. It depends. I love the research. I love the editing. But the composition stage, when there's a blank computer screen or a blank piece of paper, depending on how you do it, and you've got to come up with new words, new ideas, new thoughts, it's exhausting. And I used to think it would get easier and easier. For me, at least, it's gotten harder and harder because there's this little voice inside me that says, you've already said this, what a cliche, anybody could say that. Um, I know what I'm doing wrong now as I do it, and so those voices just have accumulated, and it, it, it's difficult. Uh, it's not become easier. I find speaking a lot easier, and, and we started traveling overseas, particularly my wife is a missionary's kid, and it, it's there you can speak and see the impact of what you're doing as you're doing it. Yeah. Writing what I'm doing, what I did today, this morning, no one will comment on until 18 months, two years from now. Hmm because it takes that long to get the thing finished and then to have somebody publish it and then react to it. Mm-hmm. So there's that, uh, there's that act of faith, the hope that what I'm spending my time on this morning will uh, eventually have an impact on somebody's life. Yeah. But you don't know that at the time. You just have to proceed in faith. Philip Yancey. Viktor Oktorov lived in Soviet Ukraine and tells his story. I was fortunate enough to, uh, to be growing up in a Christian family because... In, in the school where I, I was, about a thousand people, students there, I was the only Christian. Mm. I was the only guy not wearing the red tie. Uh, and when, when people ask me, well, um, when did you make the first kind of profession of faith? It was when I was 11 and I was standing before my class, all my friends, and I decided to, uh, to tell them I'm not going to be a pioneer or the young communist. And the teacher said, why? And I said, I'm, I'm a Christian. So that was my first kind of formative, I would say, profession of faith uh, when, when you do it in, in the face of opposition. So that was my, my childhood. Mm-hmm. And um, my dad was in between uh, prison terms. He spent two times in, in Soviet prisons for his faith. So, mm-hmm. so of he- course, you hear all the stories and, and, and that's, that's how my, I, I was growing up. So he was in prison because he was preaching the gospel? He was in prison because they built uh, a church in a town where there was no church, and yeah. it was all illegal, unofficial, and five of, uh, mm. five of them were sent to, to, to prison, and mm. That's, mm. that was his, his first term. Mm. Mm. What was his profession? What, what did he do to feed the family? Well, uh, he was working all kinds of jobs. Um, um, the best job that he has uh, was being a scientist in Moscow, working in one of the most prestigious universities, having five assistants with PhDs and um, working on laser light technologies. Hmm. And he was um, fired from that job because he was a Christian hmm. when he was um, uh, close to dying, we had this conversation with him for a couple hours, just mm. sitting, chatting about everything. Mm. Kind of thinking, I said, Dad, what 
was the most difficult part uh, of your life. And I thought he would speak about some prison experiences. He went through some horrible stuff there, of course. And he said, you know what? Saying no to that scientific job was the most, the biggest sacrifice. I had to say no to my dream, to my passion, mm-hmm. um, because the bigger passion was to follow Jesus and, yeah. and bring people to him. Yeah. It was kind of amazing for me to sit next to that mm-hmm. hospital mm-hmm. bed. And I dared to ask him a second question. And I said that since you're being honest here, tell me if you... Uh, ever felt sorry for making that choice and he was weak at that point but he just started laughing and said of course not mm. what are you talking about mm. uh, nothing compares to the, to the gospel mm. of Jesus Christ and to, to the way we uh, we can interact with it and bring um, bring it to other people mm. so many great lessons for us here in the United States who put a totally different meaning on sacrifice for the Lord Uh, One of my favorite verses, it's in three of the Gospels, but Jesus says, if you would be my disciple, and everybody remembers, you'll pick up your cross daily and follow me, but very few recall what comes before that. He says, you must deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. And I think your father, Victor, has personified the deny yourself piece for the sacrifice of the Lord. And it's great for us to hear those kinds of stories because we just don't really see those kinds of examples as much here as as you've actually lived through. But you also find yourself as you deny yourself yeah. uh, in Jesus. That's yeah. And that, that's a part of his message as well. Yeah. Victor took me when we were visiting Ukraine to see the small house that he grew up in. And uh, it's a cute little town, but the houses were very, very small, very, very humble uh, the interesting part, though, I remember is only miles away from this location uh, is a war-torn section of Ukraine, and it, it doesn't make really the news here in the United States as it probably should, but you've seen great devastation and tremendous loss of life in Ukraine at the, at the moment. You want to say a few words about that? It is, it is painful. I have friends um, on both sides uh, of the conflict and today uh, of course we are dealing with the aftermath uh, math mm. of uh, mm. all mm. of this and just mm. um, just ministering to people who are confused who don't know what to do how do we deal with mm. our feelings mm-hmm. um, we were killing our own people uh, was it the right thing to do mm. that's the question that mm. our counselors hear the most mm. Mm. Uh, especially from soldiers the ministers live the same life mm-hmm. and they also lost relatives they also mm-hmm. lost neighbors mm-hmm. they also are conflicted so mm-hmm. but they have jesus and the difference yeah. is just amazing as you see yeah. uh, how people who are going through the same stuff but have jesus minister to those who don't have yeah. jesus yeah. a powerful and moving account of faith in god in the midst of persecution that was Victor Okteroff of the Far East Broadcasting Company talking with Ed Cannon and me, just one of the many highlights from our 2020 interviews. We also heard today from Peter Jasek of Voice of the Martyrs, Johnny Tata, and Philip Yancey. Each of these interviews is still available in their entirety in the online audio archive of first-person interviews found at firstpersoninterview.com. And a special thank you to the Far East Broadcasting Company for making these programs possible. Learn more at febc.org. That's febc.org. 
Now, with thanks to my friend and producer Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepherd. Join us in 2021 for more from First Person.